0: Hello and welcome to Cool Breeze Over the Mountains, a podcast where we chronologically step through and discuss each film starring Keanu Reeves. My name is Andrew Gormley, and I am one of your hosts. I am joined on this episode and every episode by my co-hosts. She thinks Mr. Midnight needs to stay put for a couple of weeks, Whitney Nelson. (laughs) Hello, everybody. And into the light he commands thee, Evan Wells. Oh, yes, he does. (laughs) Hello. Today, we are talking about the 1988 film Permanent Record. And just as kind of a content warning, this mm-hmm. movie is centered around suicide.
1: Yeah. That might be sensitive for some people. And if that is the case, you may want to skip this one.
0: Yeah. No harm, no foul. That's, we realize that affects a lot of different people in a lot of different ways. So, with that, the IMDb synopsis here is pretty straightforward. David Sinclair seems to have everything going for him. He's smart, musically talented, and very successful. To top off his senior year in high school, his band is trying to get a recording session. Therefore, David's suicide leaves everyone, especially his best friend and bandmate Chris, with a lot of questions. This was directed by Marissa Silver and co-stars Pamela Gidley, Alan Boyce, Jennifer Rubin, and Michelle Mayrink. So here's a movie, Whitney, where we return to having a critical score as well as an audience score mm-hmm. on Rotten Tomatoes. Mm-hmm. Did you get a chance to take a look into that?
1: I did. yeah, there are it's a fifty percent on for critics, which I found interesting. They're mm-hmm. pretty split right down the middle, and uh, it's a sixty nine audience score, so that's fun. That's the sex number. <laughs>
0: It sure is, yeah. (laughs) Uh, What I
1: found interesting, though, is that um, there's a bunch of reviews on Rotten Tomatoes from the audience, but no written, like, there's no text reviews. It's only number reviews. Oh, so they... There's no featured reviews that they pulled out for the front page, so it's, like, all, I guess, just number reviews. People are just adding stars and not saying any text, which I found interesting, because people always want to say their opinions on the internet.
0: Yeah, I found that pretty interesting. I, I went in knowing nothing about this movie, and it took a turn that I was not expecting at all. I thought this was going to be one thing, and it was something else entirely. I didn't even read mm-hmm. the little synopsis in yeah. uh, in Plex, so I was just like, play, get into it. And then yeah. going back and revisiting some of these reviews, we see Roger Ebert has his thoughts about it. Uh, Variety has some
1: Pretty positive. One of the most glowing reviews is Ebert's review.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, yeah, the fact that it's 50% kind of split right down the middle, very, very interesting to me. Me too. I pulled this one quote from Walter Chow. He was a critic on here. And he wrote... This movie somehow balances the silliness of being 17 with the beauty and the horror of it. Mm -hmm. And I thought that pretty much summed it up. Like That, Hmm. for me, was, out of everything I read, good or bad, because I read the bad ones, too. And while I don't necessarily agree with them, some of them made some pretty valid points. Yeah. So, Ev, let's start with you. Did this movie work for you? No. No. Oh, interesting. Um, Okay. It didn't. So
2: like you, I didn't look at any synopsis when I went into this. And just from the title, I was under the impression that it was going to be about like, um, you know, like a criminal record. Yeah. Just because it said permanent record. And so I don't know if that shaped, you know, my movie watching at all, because I was like, wait a minute, this is so different than I expected. <laughs> yeah. But um, now it was it was uh, slow for me. It was very slow. And, uh, I mean, we'll get into some of the details of where it was particularly slow for me, but yeah, it didn't, it didn't really strike me as being well-made.
0: It it just didn't, didn't work for me. Okay. Okay. Whitney, did this movie work for you?
1: Uh, Yes, it did. Yes, it did. I think I can't remember offhand, but I think maybe Evan and I have had opposite answers for every movie that we've done
0: so far. It is believe I'm putting something together to show this, but yeah, and I'm always the deciding vote. Come on,
2: (laughs) I'm gonna let's let's uh, let's figure out what Andrew's gonna say. I'm gonna go right in between you. Easy,
0: easy.
1: (laughs) Oh, um, yeah. No, I think that this movie i think that they did a very good job it felt very much like real life to me and i know that's not everybody's bag but like there's some ambiguity in it which we can talk about kind of more as it comes up but they like don't answer questions that are asked (laughs) um and i think that the pacing is for me it worked really really well i think that it it carried the story along very nicely. I didn't find it slow, but it also is not like fast paced by any means. I could understand how someone could find it slow. um, But I thought that it was pretty, pretty engrossing because it played, it played very true to me. Um, Mm. So I I think it resonated with me in that way. And, and that's why it worked.
0: Awesome. Yeah, that's good. I am going to go ahead and split the difference. (laughs) now. I'm not, I'm not going to do that. This movie Really, really worked for me. Yeah, I wow. two reallys.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Right, and again, this is a theme that's going to come up a lot for me. I stay away from drama because this kind of stuff stays with me. Yeah, right. So I'll kind of be bummed out for like the next day and a half. It's just that's just how I absorb movies like this when they're based in kind of reality. But I I like this movie a lot. I think it pretty firmly establishes Keanu as like an actor with range. Like now we see it like that. Okay, I got it now. I understand. And most of the other performances, even some of the smaller roles, like the principal.
1: The principal. Oh my God. So good. He was so good with so little. He says almost nothing in the movie. Yeah. And had such a fully like realistic feeling character.
0: Absolutely. Mm -hmm. He's like the principal that you wanted, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like you're Mm -hmm. like, I want that guy. Yeah, that's a good point. David's dad also had Incredible. just a, really just with maybe three lines and a couple looks mm-hmm. said so much. Yeah. It was really really nice. And then I believe uh, the music teacher his his reaction towards the very end of mm-hmm. the film I thought was yep. really really powerful. So all of the performances, mm-hmm. even the kids that star that kind of co-star alongside Keanu, really really solid. I thought the story was compelling, very sad but compelling. Mm-hmm. The movie was beautifully shot. Mm-hmm. I loved mm-hmm. the the opening they did, scene. They did
1: an incredible amount of, like, I don't want to say foreshadowing, because it's not like, you know, the gun on the mantle and then it has to go off in the third act kind of thing. But there yeah. was something sort of melancholy and a little bit off-putting yes. while still being beautiful about the way the entire thing was shot. And I couldn't put my finger on it. Like, the whole time I was like there's something going on here, and it was in the camera movement and the way things were framed, and I couldn't put my finger on it. Um, but I, I definitely felt the mood of the movie from like that very first shot.
0: Yeah. the It opens on these bluffs overlooking the ocean, and there's an incredibly complex set of camera movements and choreography and blocking that happens. And right from the get, I was like, wow, this is... A huge step up from just, you know, the night before, right? Like that Mm -hmm. movie, nothing happened. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Interesting, camera wise. Yeah. There was the scene during the funeral where we kind of had this coming right down the aisle. Mm -hmm. Everything was, there's a lot of symmetry. Mm -hmm. Some of the lighting was really, really beautiful. I love that. And then... Another really good soundtrack, in my opinion.
1: Oh, uh, an incredible soundtrack. So, uh, most of the music in this movie, I don't know if you knew this in your research, but it's written and performed by Joe Strummer of The Clash.
0: Oh, damn. All right. I didn't oh, wow. get through the cool. credits, but yeah, that's awesome. Yeah.
1: So, um, he also, I don't know, a lot of people don't know this. A lot of people think that the Gross Point Blank soundtrack is an excellent soundtrack, which it is. It's one of the best yeah. movie soundtracks of all time. Joe Strummer also did that one.
3: Nice. Um, oh, wow.
1: Yeah. So, the... Uh, like I think five different songs in Permanent Record were um, Joe Strummer and his band Latino Rockabilly War.
0: <laughs> nice. Okay, yeah. that's really cool. I'm wondering if the kind of the the song that the whole movie kind of centers around was probably one of his. Is it? No, Safe it's Toasted? actually
1: by someone called J D. Souther, and I don't know oh. who that is.
0: All right, <laughs> so. but I
1: looked that up because I thought the same thing. I thought that was very. Um, not what I would necessarily have pegged for Joe Strummer of The Clash. Right, yeah. And so I, once I found out that he did that much of the music, I was like, was that song one of them? And it's not.
0: Okay, all right. Uh, but that was a really well-done song also. Yes. Well-performed, and then yeah. everything about it. So um, I'm all in on this movie. I mm-hmm. really I think it's the
1: best one we've watched so far.
0: Right. I, we'll get to our rankings yeah. at the end. Uh, not but, to jump uh,
1: ahead <laughs> to the very right, end of the podcast. But,
0: yeah. <laughs> oh, let's go ahead. All right. Um, <laughs> let's wrap it up. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah, that, that's kind of where I stand. Do, do, you, do, do either of you have any other kind of high-level thoughts before we get into our play-by-play here?
3: I
1: think that, and I kind of already talked about sort of the realism that I felt of this, I think this is one of the most accurate representations of high school I've ever hmm. seen in, in film. Yeah, or a I would agree. I feel like it's always sort of cartoony or it's it never feels realistic. It's always like exaggerated parts of high school being told by adults or something. And I feel like they treated all of the kids in this as, you know, intelligent and eloquent, but also hormonal and don't really have the biggest sense of the world yet. I just think yeah. that they really hit the nail on the head with how it's like to be that age and in school and whatever, I think that it just really, again, rang true for me.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. I will say, and I I forgot this, I didn't write it down, but yours just reminded me of that. In regards to some of the performances and the kids specifically, there were a lot of little subtleties that were peppered in Mm -hmm. that even though I didn't know the kind of inciting incident that the whole movie is based around, when you're following David for the first, maybe third of the movie,
3: mm-hmm.
0: something feels off. Mm-hmm. Just little things that he does and mm-hmm. says, or the way that he communicates. You're like, I, I thought they were going to fight for a record deal. or I thought that was going to be the movie or whatever, right? I yeah. thought record was uh, a play on the word record, whatever. Yeah. And so you're following this guy and I'm like, he he seems to have everything and yet... Not so. Mm-hmm. I, I thought it was really well done. It didn't feel like they were beating me over the head with the information.
3: So mm-hmm.
0: just little drips and drops. Anything else? The same thing happened to me with the record thing. As soon as the, uh, you know, as soon you got credits. off the
1: crime thing.
2: Yeah. It, 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 as soon as I got off the crime thing, but no, no, I heard the I heard the music,
0: and I was like, wait, permanent <laughs> permanent vinyl record. Right. Exactly. That's. <laughs> It starts off a little bit goofy. So you're uh, right out of the gate. I was, oh, okay, this is going to be a fun airheads type uh, situation. Not the case. exactly. Not the case. So I think we can get right into it then? Sure, yeah. Let's go. All right. So as I had said, the movie opens, first the movie opens with about three minutes of credits over black, which they just don't do anymore. So long. I watched it because all those people worked really hard, but you know, it is weird. It's weird. I thanked that. each. I thanked each one of them <laughs> <laughs> as they passed. Yes, <laughs> as thank as you, their Marissa. As
1: scrolled by, <laughs>
0: <laughs> thank you, director of photography. Uh, and then the movie opens with a bunch of teens hanging out uh, at a bluff overlooking the ocean. It's mm-hmm. beautiful. I looked it up. Apparently, this is Oregon. So mm-hmm. that's oh, cool. like an awesome place. I that would. That makes sense. There. Yeah, let's go. That
1: looks like Oregon.
0: <laughs> let's go. <laughs> So in our next scene, David, who is the Keanu's character's best friend, Chris's best friend, pulls up to Chris's house to pick him up for school. And they briefly mention that there's a party at Chris's house the following night, and then off they go.
1: Mm-hmm. But not before Keanu Reeves puts in some sweet earrings.
0: <laughs> right. So important.
1: The earrings in this movie are on point yeah, really on great. a lot of different people, but especially Keanu.
2: I didn't see any cuffs, though. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I don't think I saw cuffs, but I definitely saw, like, a George Michael, like, little cross yeah, yeah. hanging from a chain earring. Saw the earring. cross. That was, that was pretty sweet.
2: I got excited about that, yeah. but no cuffs. We're done with cuffs, maybe.
1: Uh, there might be cuffs, but...
0: <laughs> End of an <laughs> there era. <might> be
1: cuffs. <laughs> but we might be out of cuff era. Right,
0: yeah. oh, man.
1: 88 was the death of the cuff.
0: it away. it away. Well,
1: that's not true. When did the craft happen? The craft happened, like, ten years after this movie.
0: Oh, yeah, there it had was, to be. There was
1: cuffs all over that movie.
0: So we... <laughs> There's hope. Yeah. Hold out hope, everyone. We may still
1: see another cuff yet.
0: <laughs> to give you an idea of the two of these people, Chris, who is played by Keanu, is a lot like many of the characters we've seen Keanu play mm-hmm. before. I'm thinking of specifically his character from River's Edge, kind mm-hmm. of. You know, mm-hmm. And maybe mix that with who we have yet to see, uh, Ted, from Bill and Ted. So he's kind of yeah. this rocker, got the long hair, the earrings as we've described. And on the other hand, Chris seems to really have it together. He's a good looking dude, he seems to dress he's well. a,
1: a very good looking dude. I, halfway through this movie, uh, not even halfway through this movie, I was like, why have I not seen this guy in other stuff? Yeah. He had an incredible amount of gravitas, he was very cute, I don't know why he didn't do more.
0: It's a mystery of the universe, yeah. really. But it yeah, is. he brought it. He brought it all to this. Yeah. The next thing we see is a very dangerous driving montage. Ev, did you want to talk about this car? <laughs> Ooh, 1967 Plymouth Barracuda. What a great
2: car! Oh my gosh, I've you know, ever, if if you're a muscle car kind of person, this is right up there with some of the other standards, you know, of the muscle car industry. So, I was I was appreciative. I liked the patina, you know, it was kind of worn and, and had been a little beat up. And <laughs> at one point it, it kind of off roads a little bit <laughs> Yeah, that I just appreciated it that this, he just beat this thing and it just kept kept, you know, supplying him this really, and you know, great drive. So <laughs> yeah, I loved he, it. I thought that he drives
0: great. the hell out of this car. He yeah. does. You maybe assume they're headed to school. Not true. Yeah. They're actually going to a recording studio. They are turned away at the door almost immediately after trying a trick that clearly would not work. Mm -hmm. And they sneak in anyways. So we see them in this studio. They're watching someone play. They're listening to music being mixed. And then they kind of wistfully say, someday we are going to sound as good as that.
2: So I got this, I got a feeling from this scene that it was like a record label and that that person they were watching play was like quasi-famous, but they didn't, I wanted them to go into that a little bit more and make it seem like they were Watching somebody that was really pretty renowned, yeah. Um, but then I guess that's tough if it's just like in their local town to to kind of get that across. But um, it was hard to tell whether they were like fanboys for this person or if they just loved the idea of a recording studio.
1: I think it's a little bit of both. They definitely came across as particularly be- particularly being awed by that guy, but I also mm-hmm. don't think he was a huge like megastar. I yeah. think he was maybe like a, more of the a local. Music scene celebrity kind of a thing, right? Um, yeah. But I definitely got some amount of fanboying when he walked past, and the way that they responded to him, like saying "What's up" as he walked into the other room.
0: Yeah, he was very much a cool guy. <laughs> yeah, someone yeah. to aspire to. I'm curious to.
1: now because I didn't think about it at the time because I didn't see it until afterwards. I wonder if that was Joe Strummer.
0: Oh, that would have been neat. That'd be kind of a cool thing. Since he did family. so much of the
1: m- music for the movie, I wonder if they were like, "Hey, the rock star in the studio should be Joe Strummer."
0: To the interwebs.
1: See, this is why...
0: I should have stuck around for the credits. God damn it. <laughs> I just bounced after Well,
1: in, in my head canon, is Joe Stromer. I don't know who it really is. I'm not even going to look it up. But just right. now, that's it's true now, for me.
0: Yeah, it's now Joe Stromer. Sorry.
1: I have I have spoken it into existence.
0: Han shot first. So. <laughs> oh, wait. Oh, Did he? God. I can't remember. Okay. I think, it, I think it was. Okay. That's awesome, actually. Our heroes leave the studio, arrive to school late, and then Keanu almost blows up the entire chemistry lab that he's in. He's taking a test. (laughs) Classic. He fails. Clearly, this is not his forte. Mm -hmm. We then cut to music class, where we're in the beginning stages, I believe, of planning or maybe auditioning for the school musical. I guess it's the big number that they're going to do at the end of the year. And it's HMS... How do you pronounce this? Pinafore? They said Pinafore. Pinafore. Yeah. Never heard of it. I'm sorry. I'm. I'm...
1: You, you've never heard of HMS Pinafore?
0: No, I'm terrible. God, get some well. culture. I can't. <laughs> I have a Keanu Reeves podcast. <laughs> I can't be keeping up with all these musicals. Well.
1: So you know the song, I Am the Very Model of a Modern Major General?
0: I know that song. That's from yeah. HMS Pinafore. Okay, so I know elements of it. Yes. I was not aware of the source material. Yes. So Yes. I'll cop to when I don't know what the hell I'm talking about. So <laughs> yes, that's one of my defining traits. Yes, it is. So we find out that David, this guy who is really good looking, seems to have everything going for him, is also responsible for doing the musical arrangements for this production, which is a pretty huge responsibility to lay on a 17 or 18-year-old, right? Mm-hmm. super difficult. Right, mm-hmm. so
2: difficult, especially mm-hmm. if you look at the size of the orchestra that he was arranging for. Yeah, um, and the amount of parts that are in the play itself. This is not not an easy task for somebody who's been trained in arrangement, let alone somebody who probably hasn't been that much at seventeen years old. You know, this is the kind of stuff you do in college. So. Um, that, that was that was pretty wild to, to see them doing that.
1: I was. This is the only thing that didn't ring true for me in the whole movie because, like I said, it felt very realistic in a lot mm-hmm. of different areas to me. Um, most high school musicals don't do any arranging at all, to my knowledge. They just kind of have the, the sheet music and, and go with that. I yeah. don't think – unless you are in a performing arts school. I also don't know what high school has an orchestra this big. And Gilbert and Sullivan is, like, maybe a high school would choose Gilbert and Sullivan, but it's they are, like, ambitious, especially if it's a high school orchestra that's performing. That music is much more complicated than the singing is. And the singing goes fast, so it's a lot of words to learn. Um, But, like, it is far more complex for the orchestra than it is for the singer. So I think that that was a little bit of a weird choice for me. That they were making the high school kid arrange it. And also that the orchestra was proficient enough to play it.
2: Yeah. I mean, it it gets a little bit detailed, but I think sometimes they would buy the score um, in a certain arrangement and it wouldn't make sense for their instrumentation or their setup. Mm -hmm. So it might be more of a tweak than like starting from scratch arrangement. Um, But also orchestra size, sometimes you would have like uh, within a county, they would bring people over. Um, if they could get them from one high school to another. But that wouldn't typically take place during a school day. That would be, like, only for after-hour practicing. But, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, it was easy enough to, like, send them the score and be like, practice this at home and then show up on Wednesday nights and we'll play it together. Yeah. But it, it was definitely a lot that that caught me off guard, too. And it was like, yeah, this is, this is a stretch Ambitious. a little bit.
0: Yeah, Yeah, definitely. <laughs> well, guess what? In the very next scene, they explain that David is some kind of prodigy because he's been accepted to a very prestigious music college. Atkinson, right? Yeah. And so this was the first, maybe not the first, but one of the first things where he doesn't react the way you might expect him to react. He Mm -hmm. gets really stressed out about this. Mm -hmm. So what were the two of you thinking about his reaction at this point? Because I'm still optimistic, I'm thinking, oh, he really wants to pursue this band with Keanu's character, Chris. So he doesn't, He's he just mentioned taking a year off. I'm like, oh, you probably yeah. want to explore a little bit. Did you have any read on this situation?
1: Um, well, so I did not go in knowing nothing. I did read the little blurb on of the movie. <laughs> no.
3: <laughs> it's
1: not cheating to read the blurb that pops up when you select the movie.
3: Yeah, that's true. Anyway, so I, right I,
1: did, I did kind of know it was coming. I think that they did a very good job of cluing you in that something was off without making it super overt. Because yep. he's still kind of smiley. He's still very sort of jovial and friendly with the principal, but he definitely does not have the sort of reaction that most teenagers would have into getting into a very prestigious school. Um, and the, the, we have to put this off. I can't do this right now. That immediate feeling of stress that like my life is too, too much for this. Yeah. Um, I think was really expertly done where when the principal's like, don't worry about it. It's next year. And he relaxes and does whatever. And he's like, Oh, okay. Next year. Yeah. The way that he sort of laughs and whatever, you you don't feel like too ominous, but you also are like, huh, that's not, that's, something's up with this kid.
2: Yeah. Um, I was a little bit distracted about how he turned his hoodie into a collared sweatshirt. Did anybody else catch <laughs> I <liked> that? I like that. So I'd never seen that before, but I really appreciated it. Like, pe- plenty of people cut their hoods or would cut the part, like, right where, you know, the Adam's apple is on a guy to kind of open up the... The bottom, so you're not getting choked out by the hood. But I've never seen someone so expertly craft like what looks almost exactly like a collar
0: mm-hmm.
2: from yeah. the hoodie by cutting it out. Sounds away like you're the...
0: trying to do that right now.
2: Are you trying to? <laughs> I'm going to. That right now? <laughs> I have some laying around. I'm acting it out, right? Uh, as I talk on the mic, I have, yeah. you know, scissor fingers. And I just, I was very distracted by that. I, I thought that was pretty neat. But um, yeah, so. I'm with you, Andrew. I got the sense right then that he was really excited about the potential for his band. And he's thinking, like, nothing else matters. Um, And there's plenty of people out there that would prefer to kind of do their own thing in music than get classically trained. Because many people think that that can be a hindrance, right? If you kind of get forced into a certain way of doing music. Yeah. And so that's kind of what came across for me. But I got pretty confused once they clarified that it was next year because if he has a certain view for his band then it's not going to be something they do for 12 months i mean unless he wants to get out of the system i would think that he's imagining that it's going to go huge and it's going to be like his life so when he was like oh you know it's not till next year and he was faking elation it still didn't really click for me so i think it was good that we all kind of walked away from that scene with this like question mark like what what actually is happening
0: yeah, it was an interesting glimpse into his head, for even for just a moment there. Right. So from the principal's office, we cut to an abandoned warehouse where the band has set up to practice weekly. I don't know what it is. They come back yeah. later and it's been condemned. <laughs> so uh-huh. you got to assume they've been here quite a few times. Yeah, it definitely yep. seems
1: like something they've been doing for a while.
0: Mm-hmm. At this point, David is... Kind of teaching Chris a little bit about guitar mm-hmm. and trying to get him to excel. Chris just wants to play chords. David says, anybody could play chords, get that shit out of here, <laughs> learn yeah, how to play true. the guitar. Mm-hmm. So that was a, you know a little inspirational push there. After that scene wraps, we are now in David's room and we see him laying in bed. He's playing his guitar and it's a little bit of a somber song And we're just kind of, the camera just pans around his room. So we see a little bit, a little kind of some disarray. We see Mm -hmm. a fish tank and the room is generally like a little bit of a mess. The next time we see him is presumably the following morning. He's in Kim's bedroom. So we learn that these two people are not a couple. It's just a physical relationship. Kim is the person in the play who does the makeup and the costuming.
1: Mm -hmm. I really enjoyed that they said something about like, On the sly, they like meet up on the sly. Yes. I thought that was very, very outdated slang, even for 88. (laughs) I thought that was really fun. I really latched onto that. But she was like seeing each other on the sly and I was like, oh, that's cool.
2: So is this where she mentions something about going together? Yes. Yes. She she thinks about like, she says something along the lines of like. Anyone else who
1: is doing what we're doing would be going together. Yeah. So,
2: for you guys in high school, was that the phrase you used? Going together. If you were in a relationship with someone. No. No. What did you What did you say? Going out, I guess. Or yeah, what was said? Was it going out? Yeah. Or dating. Date. I think it's going out.
0: Yeah, I think going out. He's going out with her. She's going out with him. She's going out with her. He's going out with him.
2: Yeah. So this going together thing seems like it's a a regional. Kind of deal. I was just curious, you know, it's yeah. like soda pop and and some people right. say, you know,
0: it could be a West whatever. coast thing, left coast. I don't know.
1: It could be. I think it's more an eighties thing though.
2: Oh, okay. Timing.
0: I'll look into that. I don't mind. I'll do a little <laughs> bit more research. It's <laughs> no, it's not important. We'll put it in the show notes. It's fine. I'll take care of it, I'm writing it down. <laughs> oh my God. So after she brings this up, he gets a little bit uncomfortable, says we have a we don't ask each other questions type of relationship. And then he says he has to get out of here before her parents arrive home or something like that. So next we are at David's house and there was a really kind of sweet, genuine scene between David and his little brother.
3: Mm -hmm. And
0: he's kind of waxing nostalgic about, he's in his little brother's room, which I guess was his room at some point. And he's saying, oh, on that wall, I used to draw monsters and this is the best bed ever. And he's just kind of reliving his childhood. And then he asks his little brother if he wanted to switch spots, right? For like a day. For a day where he, you know, the little brother would go to school in his place and get good grades and he could just sleep all day. Mm -hmm. So what started out as something sweet left me feeling very uncomfortable at the end. Um, I I was sensing something's very wrong with this guy. Did either of you get that from the scene as well?
1: Yeah, I think that they didn't, again, I think that they played it pretty close to the chest. It was not super overt, so it definitely left you wondering. So it was like more question marks that rather than here's what's happening. They didn't lay it out for you, but it definitely was another scene very much like that accepted into school scene where I felt like they did a very good job of you going, something is definitely off here.
0: Yeah. Huh. Did you get that, Ev? No. <laughs> no.
2: You monster. I, I, yeah. I just, I i think it, I saw it as a continuation of, of the the fun moment with his brother where he was saying, like, do you want to try being a big kid? Or, like, do you want to, you know, I think you can, you would be able to do it out there. Like, I think you would be good at what what it takes to be, like, a, a big boy, right? Because when you're a kid, that's kind of all you want. And selfishly, I mean, if you're in high school... You really just kind of want to lay in bed all day and not go to school. So that definitely went right over my head if that was what was meant to be delivered. Um, Especially when he like playfully scares them at the end. I thought it was like, oh, okay, we're back. Everybody's having a good time and we're playing and and wrestling like brothers do. So
0: I I don't know. You guys are probably right, but (laughs) I went a different way with it. I just, I I saw that as not. David wanting to give his little brother the chance to be a big kid, but David wanting to go back to a time before mm-hmm. he had all of these adult well, yeah, I'm air quoting adult problems. Yeah. And then just like he did in the principal's office, he kind of diffuses the situation with just like his a natural charm. Of
1: charm at the end. Yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah so no one, so like they don't catch
2: they don't catch on to him kind of yeah. thing. Exactly. Yeah.
1: I do think that they did a very good job of... I already liked David because he was cute and good at music and whatever. But at this point, the way that he talked to his, what, six or seven-year-old brother as a person was maybe the most endearing thing that he did in this whole movie of, like, wow, this guy's a really good guy. Not just because he's a good big brother, but because he's treating his very much younger brother, his, like, ten years younger brother, as a person with, like, ideas and opinions and whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, And... So often in real life and in entertainment, you don't see anyone talking to kids that way.
0: Yeah, Yeah. that was really, really well done. Mm -hmm. Again, it just drives home. This guy, he seems to have everything going for him. Mm -hmm. So the next thing we see is a scene before music class again. We are often cutting back to music class. It's the central kind of thing in this movie. And Keanu is sitting at a piano and he's playing something that is extremely beautiful. Not what you would expect based off of like the rocker persona that he has. The other students eventually arrive. And then David from the balcony suggests to Jake, just kind of this side character, that he should conduct the arrangement. And Jake feels a little frazzled by this as he already has a job. But then David, once again, with this kind of signature charm says, no, you're better than that. You should be conducting. And that gives him kind of a really interesting self-esteem boost. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So we arrive at the party night and we see David getting ready. And he has this moment where he almost says something to his mom, but then he hesitates and then the charm kicks back in again. Mm -hmm. So Ev, do you think that he was going to maybe open up about how he's feeling or say something about the college? I had no idea what he was going to say there
2: i got generally confused by this scene um this was our first introduction to his mom right yeah so i d- initially i heard him say mom but i never really got it because it, I, I was questioning it the whole time like his he's dancing with her in in the room and, and they're talking so frankly that it never really came across to me as like a mother-son relationship hmm. um At least not like a high school son. And then you start to put together that this kid is just a genuine person, right? And and there's no reason for him not to have a good relationship or there's no reason why he couldn't do that. But I thought it was very
1: cute when he invited his mom to go to the party. Yes.
2: Right. That was another thing. It was like, whoa. You know what? And I I guess I was just more taken aback by the relationship they were building on the screen between them. And I was kind of – I wasn't picking up on – what he was trying to potentially get across to her. But at the same time, maybe the idea was to get across that he was acting abnormally. Like, maybe he otherwise wouldn't have asked his mom to go to the party because of his current mental state. Um, so, I don't know. It was... I, I kind of got lost in it a little bit. All right.
0: Whitney, did you have anything that you... From this whole situation, did you... Were you picking up on anything weird here?
1: Well, I mean, I think... I think this was the only time where it didn't sort of ring true for me as far as, like, the emotions that they were playing. (laughs) I think having, like, with a a jokey sort of, mom, you want to come to this high school party? And her saying, no, I don't want to go to that party. And just the whole sort of scene in general, I feel like they portrayed too close of a relationship. Yeah. And I think that um it didn't strike me as not a like mother son kind of a thing um like you were saying evan it not really feeling like a teenage son and a mom how they rea- relate i just think that it was portrayed as too close for someone who wouldn't say anything oh okay that she would have no idea that this was going on and obviously he played it pretty close to the vest but something's definitely up in the scenes that we've seen and i think if she had been a little bit colder or there had been a little bit more even just nagging or something than there was. Because was, it was, I, I don't know, it just felt too much like he had a friend he could talk to in his parent who he also trusted to be a parent. Um, hmm. So I think oh. it was a little bit too close. It didn't seem like a kid who was feeling this way would not have said something to that mother with that relationship that they had. That's that amazing. she would have known
0: yeah, that's an interesting take on that. Being as close as they were, someone she definitely would have noticed that something was wrong. Yeah. And probably pushed a little bit harder for like, the information. I think those
1: those moments of melancholy or whatever, she yeah. would have seen that at some point. Interesting. Yeah. Oh, okay.
2: Yeah. I got um I got a little bit of a Joe Keary vibe from um. David's character, who who played Steve Harrington in in Stranger Things, I was
0: I noted that down, man. Yeah, it seems like a direct, like even the hair, especially the hair. Yeah, yeah.
2: In fact, the the opening scene when he arrives at that bluff, for a split second, I was like, "That's nope, can't be." <laughs> you know, right. I I had this moment of like, "That's him," but it, you know, impossible. But a lot of that um, started to kind of strangely take place on the screen for me as well.
0: Yeah. The one thing I'll, I'll note before we move on from this scene, is as the mom, she's leaving the bedroom and she just notes to him, she's like, oh, you made your bed. And he just kind of says, yeah. Uh, in retrospect, that was an yeah. interesting kind mm-hmm. of just drip that they put in there. So we arrive, we are at the party now. And we're following David for most of this, we see Keanu popping in and out and a few of the other characters we've met. But Keanu
2: in a white jacket. In a, a white you.
0: jacket for the second movie in a row. Mm-hmm. <laughs> David is looking extremely uncomfortable, very restless. Like He's not staying in one spot. He's, his yep. eyes are darting around. He does not look n- at all like he wants to be there, but he's mm-hmm. trying. And at some point, he decides to go out for a walk. On the way out, we run into Lauren, who offers to join him, but he turns her down. She she's like, "Oh, I understand, by yourself, whatever." And then off he goes. But also, before he leaves the party, he engages with his you
2: know friends with benefits relationship, and there's yes. an interesting engagement there too, where she's like, "Well, when am I going to see you?" And there's a a good chunk of pause that happens mm-hmm. in their in their conversation right there, which was perfectly noticeable yeah. where he's kind of just like, I don't know. I'll see you around. And I, I still, I guess I'm just like thick headed, but I'm just looking at that. Like, Oh, you know, they're done. Like they're not, he's not interested in her anymore. Yeah. He's interested in he's something a else. Moody
0: teen. Right. Right. Yep. So we see that when he goes out for this walk, he actually walks to the bluffs that we saw in the beginning of the film. And he goes right up to the edge and he's just looking out into the darkness so there are a couple things I want to note about this scene. First of all, it is beautifully lit. There's mm-hmm. yep. the, w- there, it's inferred that there's a lighthouse nearby. So we're seeing yep. this bright light kind of swing around. And Chris, played by Keanu, has caught up with him. And he's a little, he's a little drunk. He's holding a beer. And we're thinking like, oh, he's going to sneak up on him. So he hides behind a rock. And he's looking over yep. and he's peeking. And the camera work here is so expertly done. So good. Where we're staying at the level that Chris's character is at behind these rocks moving here. And when he peeks up, the camera peeks up. And we see that David is over by the rocks. And then the camera tilts down. And then when it tilts back up, he's gone. And he has jumped. This moment for me with Keanu's performance was I literal goosebumps for me. I thought that this was amazing. The, the yes. set the the anguish that he was expressing here. Mm-hmm. Did you two feel similarly? Yes, yep,
1: I did. I think that that uh, I I felt that the knowing what was coming because I had read the snippet. Yeah. Um, I felt that Keanu's little like drunk beer hide and seek thing was a little over the top and I was kind of exasperated with it. But I think that the second that things turned, it was a very, very, very good performance and really sold what happened. And, and you know, you might just be like, oh, he took a walk or he's not there or whatever. The, the way that Keanu reacted sold the, he f- is off the edge.
2: Yeah. Yeah. There, was, there were enough moments of confusion mixed in with the right amount of, like, realization mm-hmm. um, that really solidified for it. I, I will say, as an aside, I think he did a much better job than Lane did in River's Edge with <laughs> with death, yeah. um but the, uh, the you know, the lighthouse thing, it's so funny. i was I was saying to myself, oh, this is a this is a great time to mess up continuity um when they're switching between shots, yeah. and, and different angles. But they always had the sweeping lighthouse. They nailed it, it. It was impressive. the like you said, the frequency was right. And you really kind of felt like that was actually taking place, but um, yeah, I, I really I appreciated Keanu's ability to convey anguish, but not overdo it. Not you know the 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 way that he kind of got that across felt extremely real. Yeah, It was very
0: good. This whole it, it was at this point, right? He goes for this walk, and he's out. So it felt a little bit more obvious about where this movie was going at this point. I was like, oh, wow, this is... Mm-hmm. He's looking wistfully out into the darkness, right? Not wistfully, that's not the right word for that, but just out into the middle distance. He doesn't really have too much of an expression on his face. All you're hearing are the waves crashing against the rocks. There's no other audio. It's, yep. it's It was a haunting scene for sure. So did both of you think
2: while he was on that walk, that this was what he was going to do? I did not. I mean,
0: I, I, d- I still don't know. In retrospect, it was all there, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know. I-, I just thought he's awkward in these types of yeah, party yeah. situations and he just wanted to get away. I thought that that would have been an opportunity for him and Lauren or Kim or one of the other characters to connect, but they blew that off right away too. So, yeah it was it was powerful, mm-hmm, definitely. Winnie, did you see that coming?:
1: No, I don't think I did. I think that they they um they kind of just like snuck it right past you. yeah, I think that i didn't didn't see it coming, um not like that.:
2: Yeah, I thought it was going to be um you know Chris or Keanu would show up, and they would finally kind of have out why he was off. Mm-hmm. Like, there would be this little come to Jesus that was just kind of like, this is everything that's going wrong. I don't have this figured out, blah, 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 blah. But it, it ended up not being that at all, but I definitely thought that was the direction that it was going to go. So, it was super shocking when suddenly he wasn't on that bluff anymore. That was just an incredible moment. Yeah.
1: I, I And I think, again, that plays very sort of true to life. Like, in retrospect, we see him sort of planting seeds of... yeah. Like, I know that this is coming and I'm going to do this. Um, But also the way that if you really don't know someone's going through that, how just genuinely sudden and out of nowhere it seems. Um, Like he's at the party and he's not really engaging with people, but he doesn't seem like he's having a bad time and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And it just all of a sudden he's gone. I think yep. that felt felt very realistic. But yeah, I did not did not know that that's where it was going when it happened.
0: Yeah, all accentuated by, again, really great lighting, location, and camera work. I, I, I won't get over that, that final tilt where it was only a moment. Mm-hmm. It tilts down, and then when it's back up, he's gone. Mm-hmm. I just thought that was really masterfully done. Yep. Yep. So the next scene is the funeral, and it's another really beautifully executed shot where we're on a dolly and we're coming down the middle of the aisles pretty dark. it's
1: like close to the floor and looking up so everything seems very imposing and there's like very bright light coming in the windows but the church itself is pretty dark
2: yeah yep and they do a great job of capturing different emotions on every person's face as they come into frame yes mm-hmm. everybody's kind of carrying a
0: different emotion absolutely when we get to Keanu he actually stands up and just leaves And we overhear the priest or reverend or whoever's performing the service that, at this point, they believe it was an accident. Yeah. Another surprise for me. So we find out that Chris, Keanu's character, has left, and he returns to the Bluffs, where they are now constructing a fence because... Yes, that's what happens, right? It's never a fence until it's too late.
1: Yeah, this cliff scene when they're putting up the fence, the use of the jackhammer sound being so yep. grating and like irritating people as they're dealing with all of these emotions yes. was just masterful. It was so good that like jackhammer and everyone's getting like on edge because of it, and and uh, it they don't let up with it in a movie soundtrack. Usually, there'd be a few seconds to let you know it's construction, and then it would fade out. Mm-hmm. But it really yeah. like helps to amp up the character's emotional states it was created tension in a really good
0: way absolutely yep. yeah so they're discussing maybe having a service or something in david's honor in his memory so we're back at music class again and chris is very distracted right he's the everyone's performing up he's on reading stage a magazine. He's just, yeah he's just reading something right and it the principal walks in, talks to the music teacher, and then it's, it's decided that he should be given the task of finishing David's arrangement work, which again, for somebody that we've, we've discussed, for somebody who is accomplished at that, you know, this is still a, a huge task. And he's unsure of, of whether he can even do it. But the principal, you know, you can do it, you know, gives him the old punch on the chin there. We arrive back at Chris's house. And at this point, he receives a package from David posthumously Mm -hmm. with the arrangement for the song and a note that reads, I wanted everything to be perfect. It wasn't. And there's a really another great kind of performance here from Keanu, just realizing that what what has actually transpired, like it was not an accident. What he believes Mm -hmm. is true is actually true.
1: Yeah. Yep, yeah, the the watching it sink in on his face was really well done.
0: Yeah, yeah. There was more. I think it was something you said, Whitney, maybe during River's Edge, where you could see that there's an inner dialogue happening. Really, mm-hmm. there's more. There's more behind his eyes in, in, in as he's you know progressing as an actor, and you you definitely see it here. So that was really interesting. So are either of you still trying to
2: kind of figure out what? he's referencing because you know obviously could have applications just generally to his life isn't perfect or is it his 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 arrangement wasn't perfect or the song he wrote wasn't perfect is it all of those things because i found myself like grasping for reasons
0: i think you're probably among the characters who are also grasping for those same reasons yeah i mean i
1: think i think that's um on purpose I, I took it as everything, like, because you see him sort of composing a song on the bed and then crumpling up paper and throwing it away, you know, that's part of it. You know, that like, the relationship thing between the two of them, like the girl that is basically just like a fuck buddy and whatever, and and that kind of stuff, they kind of lay it all out that he was feeling the pressure and not Mm -hmm. happy about the way a lot of things were going, Um but leaving it ambiguous is part of the reason why the whole, you know, hour after he falls off the cliff happens is because no one really knows exactly what it was and what it was about. And his note was too ambiguous. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So at this point, Chris heads to David's house. And this is presumably to tell his parents about the note he received. But he he leaves. He he actually doesn't. He He's in his room. He's looking around the little brother says something along the lines of like, are you looking for David because he's dead? And it seems like that realization hasn't quite hit the little brother yet. What that means. Yeah. He just mm-hmm. kind of says it's so blase. We're back at the bluffs again and everyone is gathered here. It's a scene similar to what we saw when the movie opened. Right. And they're all discussing yeah. this service for David. And then Chris once again reveals that it was probably suicide and he he's angry about this. He shows his girlfriend the note. And then we just have to assume that she told kind of the rest of the school what she had seen. So that was pretty tough to watch too. Yeah. Yep. In the next scene, now he's at David's house again and he's telling David's parents the same exact thing, right? So he goes down this line of just, you know, bang, bang, bang right here. And he, he says this line that I, I'll never forget it. Now he, he says, he didn't scream, right? And mm-hmm. the mom gets up and leaves the room. And I, that was crazy. And then the dad stands up and you could see that there's... You could see 400 different emotions going through this guy's face. He hasn't even said anything yet. Mm-hmm. And that was one of the best performances with almost nothing to go on, mm-hmm. in my opinion. I think, Whitney, you, you felt similarly there?
1: I did. I did. I think he just... It, like. He just played it all. He didn't need to say anything because he was able to do it all with just his body language and his face. Um, I think that the, the range of emotions. And I think that it was, I, I very much, again, it rang very true that the dad was still trying to say, like, this note doesn't necessarily mean that he killed himself. And the parents trying to, like, say it still could have been an accident. And yeah. Keanu Reeves leaving zero room for, yeah. like, he didn't fall. There was no noise. He didn't scream he did this on purpose and he was happy about doing it. He wasn't scared about doing it. Um, And then the reaction that the dad had of just like, just the pain and the terror and the realization and all of those things just kind of going across his face was, it was a really good scene. And, and then, and then Keanu Reeves just being like, I don't know if I did the right thing by telling you this. That was that he did a very good job selling that one too, because he, he seemed so genuinely lost and confused in the parents not comforting him because they're lost in their own thing. And him like, should I have told you? Was this a good thing? Is it bad that I told you? And they're not even answering him. Like the mom's out of the room and the dad is in his own world. It was a very, very, very Im- impactful scene overall.
0: Hopefully no one ever has to go through that. But you would imagine if you were a, a young impressionable teenager. That's, that's how you would be feeling too. Like, I I don't know if I did the right thing here. I don't know what I saw. I don't know what this means. What do I do? And it was noted earlier in the film, Chris's dad seems to come around once every two weeks Mm -hmm. or something. So he really doesn't have anybody to talk to. He has almost the exact opposite life that David has with a loving family and siblings and stuff like that. We're back at the bluffs again. And this is at nighttime. He had gone there to just drink, but he runs into Lauren, who's also there drinking. And they discuss if either of them had thoughts about suicide. Chris says that he hasn't. And it sounds like maybe she did at some point. Is that how you read that? Yeah. Okay. Yep. And then they talk about what kind of life they had pictured for David, which followed along. It was the logical conclusion to his his life, which was like the greatest ever, like record deal, big house, Mm -hmm. people vying for his attention, things like that. And then they tell each other not to ask if there was like, mm-hmm. more they could have done to stop this. Chris's character says it's, it's not even worth asking yeah. that question. So again, I think they're, I think they're handling this pretty deftly. And all of it feels, again, not having experienced anything like this in my life, it seems well handled. Are, are mm-hmm. both of you? Feeling similarly about that?
2: Yeah, I think um, Chris is doing a good job of helping others handle it, but it's clear that that he doesn't have it figured out for himself. Yeah.
0: So I think that
1: the most interesting part of this movie is in the second half of this movie. Chris goes from not understanding how this could have happened and how his friend could have done this thing to immediately sort of getting all of the pressures that his friend had. And that is part of his realization and his sort of, like, acceptance of things. And over the course of, like, 30, 40 minutes of the movie, him having to tell the kid's parents that it was suicide and not an accident, him having to have these sort of conversations of, like, it's not, you can't ask if we could have done anything. And and all of the, the burdens that he sort of is now bearing for picking up the pieces of this a his best friend's life but also this kid who everyone thought had it together and his kind of slightly more screw-up friend now has all of those pressures and at first he sort of is buckling himself personally and I think that's part of and this is all in Keanu Reeves this is all subtext but I think Keanu Reeves kind of uses that to understand yeah Going from, I have no idea that this was going on and how it could have happened and why he was feeling this way to being like, now I kind of get why he was feeling this way because I had to do all of the stuff that he didn't do and and sort of like be responsible for wow. all of the people in, in this school and in his life that are dealing with him being gone.
0: Yeah, it would, it would be interesting to see if he, just off the top of my head, it seems to track that he p- goes through like... This the stages of grief. He right? does. Yeah. So, ending with acceptance. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I totally agree with what you said. That's that's really interesting. Yeah. So we're back at school in the principal's office, and Chris has suggested that you know they don't want to they don't want to do anything too big for David, but they have this song, and they would want to play that for the school. And the principal says that's a great idea. I'll give you a day, and then just a moment later. Same principal is having a meeting with the superintendent who is an evil guy and says, <laughs> no, we don't want to deify mm-hmm. this person who committed suicide. That is off the table. Cancel it. We're back at music practice. And the principal now tells everybody what he was told, that this tribute is kind of off the table. And at this point, Chris flips out, says a lot of really yep. just, just things in anger. Mm-hmm. And then he gets kicked out of school justified though. Right. Uh, you're Just, on his side responses. the whole time, right? Yep. At this point his dad stops home <laughs> again for the first time, I don't know, since maybe David died. I, I we, we don't know.
1: Yeah, no clue.
0: And as punishment for getting kicked out of school, he takes Chris's guitar. Yeah. The one thing that he had as All a as an outlet. Yeah, right. Yeah, it seems like
2: his dad may not have even known that uh, David is
0: has passed. Yeah, it's very possible. This guy just is yeah. total oblivious. He shows yep. up 10 seconds, and then he's gone. So, Right. In the next scene, we see Chris. He's driving drunk, and this is kind of a parallel to the same drive that he took in the beginning of the movie with David, and we find out that he's actually headed to David's house. And on the way, David's little brother, for whatever reason, he's acting out, and he decides to go outside. And Chris almost... Hits him with the car. Mm-hmm. It's a. It's very close. Yeah. Well, this
2: this to your earlier point. This seems like when David's little brother has finally come to terms with what's happening. Yeah,
1: because because the mom sees him running around with a sword yeah. and thinks he's just playing. But then he goes upstairs to his brother's room, which is empty, and he starts like smashing everything he can with the sword. And yeah, then he's yeah. running outside. So this is definitely like the the sort of reality of the situation hitting this little kid.
2: I think he was running away. I think the idea I think was that's that he what had it was too, like yeah. a to go bag kind of deal.
0: Yeah. So he almost gets hit. The parents come running out. The mom picks up the younger brother. The dad comes over to Keanu. He smells the alcohol on him, starts yelling. And then once again, Chris Keanu's character, he breaks down and the acting here was once again, I, I'm, I'm blown. I'm continually blown away by this. He said he's crying. He said, there's more he should have done. And the dad just kind of embraces him here I thought this was another really, really emotional moment.
3: Mm -hmm.
1: I think that the, 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 just like, I don't know how I didn't see it. I should have done more.
2: Yeah. Yep.
1: I'm his best friend of all people. I should have known and I didn't. And I don't know how that happened. And just like the whole thing. And I think that Keanu does an incredible job with it. And I also think that the dad does an incredible job with it. And I also think the mom from a distance looking over and being so angry about almost losing her other child to immediately being like, this kid's going through some shit right now and like feeling a ton of compassion for him. That also was done in in a glance with like two seconds of screen time. She also killed it as far as the emotions go in that scene.
0: Absolutely. It's all really, I I mean, this is, it's an expertly blocked and shot movie. The way they just set the camera up and even what you're looking at in that scene is wide and you Mm -hmm. still get that read from the mom's face also. So yeah, Mm -hmm. it was, it was really well done. So in the next scene, David's dad, who we just saw kind of consoling him is in the principal's office and he asks to have Keanu reinstated, but the principal says no dice. He's, you know, I, I, my hands are tied essentially. Yeah. Did we get the feeling that from the look on his face that he might, (laughs) that things would work out for Chris in this situation? Yeah, yeah. Okay.
1: I mean, I think the fact that it seems like both the dad of the dead kid and the principal looking out for you means you're going to be okay. Yeah. It does not necessarily pan out in that scene, but I think that's kind of the writers of the movie telling you people understand what he's going through and it's going to work out okay and he's got people there supporting him, even if he doesn't know it. Um, I don't think that they necessarily say everything's going to work out peachy keen but i think it, it they do it to sort of lighten the the mood at that point to say someone's got to look out for this kid because his dad's not around and he's bearing this whole burden himself even if the principal's like hey there's nothing i can do
2: yeah i thought they were starting to empower the principal too like they were starting to give him fodder for like standing up for chris yeah
0: yeah this was kind of the kick in the ass that the guy needed to right. <laughs> go through with yeah so in the next scene, we see Keanu with uh, what? What are we calling this here? Like a, a tank top? He's his arms are exposed. Th- he's looking good. Oh. He's out washing his oh, car, no.
2: right? Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. The rest of the band pulls up in Evan. Can you tell me what the hell that truck was? This oh. big black. Uh, I, I, I've never seen anything like that in my life.
2: <laughs> that is a 1955 GMC panel van. Um, <laughs> But it was he- heavily modified, so they okay. they jacked it up and put like side exhaust on it. It was actually awesome. It was Matt black. I was uh, I was really enjoying that truck. Kind of want one.
0: <laughs> that's clearly what they use to transport their gear from gig to gig. So. Perfect. <laughs> right. That's that's that. They show up and they want to. They they still have this recording session that they had booked. They want to go through with the song. They tell him write the words. You know, write what David wouldn't write. Let's finish this thing, and he's a little he's a little iffy about whether he can. Again, he's just focusing on himself. And he has since replaced his guitar, right? In the next scene, actually, is when he goes to visit David's dad once again. Oh, that's right. And yep. he, he, you know, he answers the door. He's like, "Is there anything I could do for you, Chris?" He's like, "My dad took my guitar," so he gives him one of David's. Guitars, or maybe it's it's actually I think it's the dad's guitar. Is it not? Yeah, it's it like was. a nineteen fifty yeah, five
1: Stratocaster. It's
0: yeah, nice. some it was. It is a
2: nice guitar. Yeah, probably so. Worth. That guitar right now on eBay. That that was I think it was Telecaster, solid Telecaster. body. Telecaster. Yeah, that's a twenty six thousand dollar <laughs> guitar oh on God. eBay right now today. If you want to get it.
0: <laughs> yeah. So quite a quite a piece of equipment. He just oh, yeah, kind of guitar. gives it to him, and in the next scene we have. Kind of what you might describe as like a quick montage. We see Keanu is working on the arrangement now. He's got a keyboard. He's sitting on the floor. He's he's scribbling his notes. He's playing on the keyboard. He's playing some guitar. He's working through this arrangement. In the in the next scene, one of the only one of one of just a few funny moments. He's sitting in the principal's office waiting for him to get in to work, and uh, he's asleep basically. Holding Mm -hmm. this big pile of of notes in the arrangement. Mm -hmm. The principal invites him in. He says, It's done.
1: I love when the principal walks into the room and says, What do you think this is, history class?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Right, yeah. Because he's sleeping there. Exactly. It It was a nice, yeah. This was a nice little (laughs) reprieve. It was a great moment. Yeah. Yeah. He asks him eventually, Do you want to come back to class? Keanu has a very witty retort where he says, I kind of like sleeping late. But right. obviously he's coming back. So that's mm-hmm. that's oh, yeah. really
1: cool. I mean that's clearly clearly part of like what he was trying to do was make things right for having acted out. Um, as much as it was for finishing what his friend started.
3: Yep. It definitely. seemed as
1: much to be for him and you know, make setting things right as it was to be like honoring his friend and what his friend couldn't finish.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. It is it was quite a leap of faith to essentially expel the person in charge of making sure that the school concert goes off without a hitch musically. <laughs> so that it was a pretty wild gambit, but it paid off. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. the next scene we're at I'm guessing this is a Chinese food restaurant. Is is this the one that we yeah. saw earlier in the movie? So Keanu comes in and sits down with the rest of the band. He says that he's finished the song and that They're ready to record it. And then we're back at David's house again because the warehouse where they had initially gone to practice has been condemned. So it was not a very safe place to begin with. So we're at David's house. Chris asks David's mom, can we practice in your, I'm guessing this is the garage or the basement. One of these two places. We want to play this song. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We get a little sample of this song. What are your thoughts on this song? It was not what I was expecting, but no. I liked
2: it. Um, we get the ending, right? We get like the last four bars or something. It's it's the very end of the song. Uh, I li- I liked it. I thought it was, but you're right. I, I expected like rock. Yeah.
1: Well, that's the thing is like with the, so much of the music being Joe Strummer of The Clash before now, I definitely thought that they were going for a more punk thing and less a Flock of Seagulls thing. Um, yeah. It was definitely very, like, 80s synth. It
2: was like rock ballad. Yeah. You know?
1: I was into it. I was really into it, but it was not what I was anticipating at all because I thought it was going to be a very punk thing, and then it wasn't a punk thing at all.
0: Yeah. But again, quite a good song. Quite a good mm-hmm. song.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Yep. Now, the whole next part is essentially cutting back and forth between two scenes. And I don't want to undercut this, so if either of you have something you wanted to interject here, please feel free. But we have, on one scene, in the studio, recording the song. And in the other, we have this school concert that has fully come together, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And both of these things are going really, really well, Mm -hmm. right? There was an awesome little moment, I thought, I don't conduct, I have no idea. It seems like a lot of pressure. But... This was Jake, who David had, you know, in the beginning of the movie, told, like, you can do this. This is what you should be doing. He gets up in front of the orchestra, and he has a look on his face like, holy shit. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah it was perfect. It was yeah. just a little thing, but it was so cool. I thought that was great. Uh, so we're, we're cutting back and forth between these really nice orchestrally performed songs. And then in the studio, we're hearing David's song kind of play out. Instrumentally, I should add... So we're just hearing the guitar being played by Keanu, and then tracking the rest of the band. Yep. This culminates in Lauren, who we've seen throughout this film. She has an a cappella solo of David's song. She decides at the last minute not to sing, her, not solo sing her solo. Her
1: solo the musical. In the
0: musical, and instead Jukes and and does the solo. She says, "This is for us." and then she mm-hmm. proceeds to a cappella sing this this song and full disclosure i cried i was very emotional for this i thought it was beautifully done
2: wait these are your first these are first keanu tears
0: I, I, I don't yeah they are the first i they might not be the last but they are certainly the first keanu tears and and obviously not for keanu she has to me <laughs> a, she had a beautiful voice right Very
2: nice voice, Mm -hmm. and
0: the the words were really also beautiful. I I, I'm struggling for the words here, but I I thought this was really great. We we cut out to some people in the audience. The superintendent is none too happy with what has transpired. He's there. The principal tells that guy in no uncertain terms, "Go fuck yourself." (laughs) Right.
2: Well, it was a great line, right? Because he said you weren't. He said something to the effect of, "Like you weren't listening, or I didn't get through to you." And the principal's retort is. I'm not listening to you right now. And it was like, that's awesome. That yeah. was a great response because all he wanted to do was listen to Lauren sing this song.
0: Absolutely. So we have that. There are a couple shots we cut to the principal. We cut to I believe at one point we see David's dad. If I'm am I am I was I misreading what that character we cut to somebody, then we cut to the music director who's who's mm-hmm. also crying. Lauren's doing an amazing job. Keanu is watching her from offstage. At some point, he had gotten done recording his version of the song. So all of these characters have come together. We get a standing ovation. I I thought this was super powerful. Do either of you have thoughts on this? (laughs) For the for the balance,
2: I found myself wanting more of the studio and less of the play. Because for me, the culmination was what he wrote himself for the band to perform, and it was less about what he arranged for the play. So I, I wanted to lean more into the studio, but now that we're thinking about it, they probably couldn't have done much more beyond the singing, and I guess they wanted to save all the singing for Lauren.
0: Yeah. For all of the talk they had about Keanu, like, they, they kept saying, Chris, man, you gotta sing yeah. it. We never actually right. heard him sing it, but yeah. I guess it no. would have been weird to have that twice, or cut back and f- It would have... Certainly, undercut the acapella performance if they like cut back to the studio version of Keanu well, that's singing. The way. There's
1: no good way to like mix that because if you're doing it to instrumentation in the studio that they've recorded, then like you have to cut it out again to cut back to the stage where she's singing acapella. You couldn't do like a duet or anything and still have it be acapella on her side. And yeah, like, um, there's no rule real smooth way that i could see to intercut those two um i do think it was weird to only have her sing it when like for the recording he's everyone's like you gotta sing it and he's the only one that can do it and whatever i really like this scene a lot i think that the again the face acting was so good in this i think that everyone that they cut to really sold different takes on what this experience would be like, knowing what everyone has gone through and, and, you know, being the principal of a school where the whole student body is somewhat affected by this and, uh, you know, but also just appreciating that it's a beautiful song and the, the drama teacher, his reaction was very moving to me. Um, I do think that there, it, it lacked a little for me in some way, and I can't put my finger on what it was. And I don't know if it was just, it felt weird to not see Keanu, singing at all when they made such a big deal about it or something yeah. just felt like it was missing to me in that. Not that it wasn't a good scene and not that it wasn't emotional. Cause I, I did get a little emotional in it, but um, I didn't, I don't know if it, it felt just a little short for me and I can't put my finger
0: on where. That's fair. I actually can't tell you why it worked so well for me, to be honest. I'm, <laughs> yeah, I'm struggling with the work, but I was like, this is, this is great. This mm-hmm. is great.
2: There, there's something I would have done different here. Um, for, I think that they could have not had the studio time and the play in parallel timeline. Mm-hmm. I think they could have done, or not even parallel, concurrent, um, that they could have almost discovered that she had a beautiful voice for the song while they were practicing in the garage or the basement. And then they could have done all the band sound you know tracks and had her singing acapella in the studio and then come over to her singing acapella in front of the audience and kind of had that been the crossover. Um, and I, I don't know, that would have just brought more for me because then then it makes it feel like David's song that he wrote is more complete, like that they actually finished recording it yeah, and Yeah, I like
1: that. I, I like you putting that into words. For me, it, it didn't track... I like I knew it logically that the the songs were the same song. This was David's song. All yeah, of this was David's yeah. song. But it didn't feel that way when you were watching the two inner cut. It did not feel like the same song. It felt like two different songs. Right. And I think that that's exactly hitting the nail on the head. Like this is David's song. It he died when it wasn't complete. This end scene is completing the song. And it didn't quite do that. I think that's
0: Well done. Evan, <laughs> bring it in. <laughs> That's f- it. I'm
2: done. The rest of this podcast.
0: <laughs> bring I it in. will not be, be here Cut. next week. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the final scene of the film is, it's exactly a parallel to the opening scene of the film where we're back at the yep. bluff. All the cars are kind of parked. Everyone's hanging out. We see Keanu, he walks over to his girlfriend, she's doing some writing, and then he walks over to the fence, and then he looks out into the distance over the ocean. Nothing is said, you just hear the waves crashing again, and then he walks off frame, and then the camera holds on this beautiful vista through a fence for a moment, and then cut to credits. Mm-hmm. So, that brings us to our recommendation in Keanu check-in. So Whitney, would you ultimately recommend this film?
1: Yes, I would. I would recommend this film. I do think that we have, I think maybe... Because we've been describing all of the plot points with, like, how good the acting was and how emotionally resonant things were, I do think we've maybe oversold it a little bit at this point. <laughs> I I like it more than any movie we've seen so far. And I I genuinely enjoyed this one, and I think this is the first time that I've genuinely enjoyed a movie. Like, I've had bits and pieces that I liked or things that I enjoyed but didn't, like, fully love the movie. Um, But I also think that this is a very mundane take on something like this happening and it, it was mundane on purpose it was very realistic it was very true to life but there's a lot of scenes that are just dialogue there's nothing dramatic happening it's just people sort of coping with emotions and and you know what what the world is like when it's easy to lose people and it's not a big... It's not like the notebook as far as drama goes, with like swelling music and and dramatic scenes and that sort of thing it's very it's very low-key which I think some people might not enjoy I think it really worked because it all felt very real to me it all felt like I think it enhanced the resonance with me of how I really like felt for all the characters in this movie but I I do think that I I would recommend it but with the caveat of there are people who might find it drags, and there are people who may not be interested in the subject matter at all because, you know, of, of things in their own life. So, but it's, it's, a, it's a yes overall, though.
0: Okay, good to know. Good to know. Evan, would you ultimately recommend this film? Uh, yes. You know, this conversation
2: actually opened my eyes a lot to some of the uh, uh, amazingness.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
0: you word yes. good-
2: this conversation to open my eyes to some of the you know the quality of this movie and i think i I would recommend this to an audience that has a willingness to actually sit and think about a movie yeah you can't you can't put you can't put donnie darko in front of anybody right because there there's there's a lot to think about in that movie Mm -hmm. and certain people are going to appreciate it and get it and that comes back to you as the person that recommended it, because then afterwards you get to be like, "Oh my God, did you? What does it mean?" And so, <laughs> that's the kind. That's what this movie is, right? It, it's something that you really need to watch closely, and you need to be able to reflect on what has happened earlier. Like, yeah, the, that that little nugget about that he made his bed. I didn't even think about that until right now when we were talking about it. So, being able to kind of do that to, while you're watching the movie is huge. I also
1: think that something just sort of coalesced for me. Literally the only thing that separates this from sort of like an after-school special type movie is the acting. I mean, I think that there's, there's some cinematography and editing that was done very well. I think the music was interesting. I think, like, there's a lot of... I don't think the script was bad or anything, but I think that what really makes this not that kind of movie is the acting. So if it's something that you do feel drags a little bit i think that that it would be very easy for people to put it and if you actually read the reviews on rotten tomatoes that is what people seem to think is that it's sort of like schlocky after school special mm. um and i think that it it requires like you were just saying i a closer viewing of the little hints that were dropped as as things went along and, and paying close attention to the you know 30 emotions that run through the dad's face in that scene. If you're only paying right. half attention or you're not fully invested in it and you're not seeing all of those different things that the dad is going through when he hears his kid killed himself, um, it would not play like as good of a movie as it did for me. Mm-hmm. So I do think that that's something that I would take into consideration when I was recommending it to people. Andrew, what about you?
0: I think that against all odds, this drama becomes an ultimate recommend for me. Oh. Mm-hmm. The, the the content warning obviously is the mm-hmm. caveat, but I thought the performances in this were out of this world. And the fact that we really haven't seen many of these people ever again is yeah, super true. interesting to me. I, I looked up everybody on IMDB. It doesn't seem like anyone else aside from Keanu worked past the nineties in in this movie. So that was Considering how well they did here, at least how well I perceive them to do, yeah, I thought that was interesting. This it'll stay with me for a while. It's something I would easily recommend. That's that's really the the best thing I could say about it. I I, I mm. really enjoyed it. So with that, I think we all agree. We're we're are we getting to peak Keanu now? We're seeing yes. we're seeing this guy. Yeah. We're like, oh man, there is a lot here beneath the surface. <laughs> Yeah,
2: but we we I want to make sure we don't get too far down into the trenches of like silly um silly Keanu. Like we need to <laughs> kind of pull it back a little bit. <laughs> keep the keep the reins a little taut um, cuz you know I I want to make sure he's still in like a serious serious world. I mean, this had glimpses of serious obviously, yeah. with the subject matter, yeah. but you know, we're still getting a lot of that like smiley kind of do fists from time to time.
0: It's unbelievable to me that this and The Night Before came out in such close proximity that one person was able to do both of those roles and (laughs) one, in my opinion, far better than the other. It speaks volumes about about him as an actor. Big hair changes, too. (laughs) Massive hair changes. (laughs) (laughs) So in terms of our rankings, I have this open in front of us. Whitney, I'm going to read yours since you're column A, if mm-hmm. that's okay. Mm-hmm. And tell me if I got this wrong, because I, I, I think I have it right, but I could be wrong. I have River's Edge, Brotherhood of Justice, Flying, The Night Before, Youngblood, and One Step Away. I yep. was unsure The Night Before for you is better than Youngblood. Just want yes. to verify. Okay. Where does this one slot in?
1: Uh, number one.
0: All right. There we go. I hmm. kind of had a feeling, yeah. but that's good. Evan. Where would you slot this movie in? Do you need me to read back for you what you have? I would love that. You have River's Edge, Brotherhood of Justice, The Night Before. This can't be. Re- nope. Oh, I remember. Okay. I talked you down. I remember last week. <laughs> yeah. The first thing you said was The Night Before is number one for me. And then I talked you off the edge. Okay. So we have River's Edge, Brotherhood of Justice, The Night Before, Young Blood, Flying, and One Step Away. I think it's second to River's Edge. Interesting. Okay. Not too bad. Hmm. Not too bad. Both dark. Keeping these dramas up high. Yeah. Yeah. Surprising no one, this is my number one movie also currently. (laughs) So I don't think I could have said enough good things about this one. (laughs) Oh, man. So let's talk about next week. Next week, Evan will be leading the discussion on a film called The Prince of Pennsylvania. Hmm. Have... Have we seen this? Has anyone seen this? No. I have Mm -mm. not. I have no idea what this is about. The box art looks hilarious. A great haircut. (laughs) A great haircut. I'm I'm ready. Okay.
1: Oh, I just looked at the box art. Oh, wow. That's a whole thing. (laughs) (laughs) That is a whole thing. That whole outfit is like a statement. But yes, that haircut
0: that's wow. that's all of the information I have. I am going into that one completely blind as well. yeah, I don't I'm wanna... gonna
1: try very hard not to read anything <laughs> about this one and see what that haircut is about because he definitely looks like five lesbians I know <laughs> now with that haircut.
3: oh my God
0: well done, well done. you win this episode <laughs> he so he uh this 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 haircut
2: this is a deep reference, but he looks exactly like the bassist for a group called Dirty Loops. And if you ever look those guys up, they do these really hilarious covers.
0: It's uh, it's exactly the same. So this is incredible. All right. <laughs> Perhaps inspired by. So, Could have been. The Prince of Pennsylvania. Could have been. <laughs> All right. Let's bring this in for a landing, everybody. You can find our website at coolbreezepod.com and access all of our episodes, list of films we're reviewing, and much, much more. You can reach out to us by emailing coolbreezepod at gmail.com or hitting us up on Twitter at coolbreezepod. If you think this is a podcast you can get behind, please give us a subscription on your preferred platform, and a review is much appreciated. You can also find one of our current reviews helpful if you want. It's one that's about Evan, if you were into that sort of thing. Cool. He tuned out. (laughs) He's like, I don't want to hear anything about this review.
3: (laughs) Oh, man.
1: We'll be
0: back next week. But until then, Whitney, where can we keep up with you on the internet?
1: All right. Well, I gave the full rundown last time. So this week, I'm just going to say, follow me on Twitter at Whitney underscore Nelson. And you can find all of the other podcasts that I do. um, Historical Hotties, Myth Takes, Almost Better Than Silence, and a uh, secret project coming up soon. Um, Follow me on Twitter and you'll see all those things.
0: That secret project, Evan and I have gotten... Oh, I'm hype. They're privy,
1: they're privy to what it is. Oh,
0: man. It's a really, really good one, and it is quite the stunt, so it's exciting. I don't want to build it up too much, but I don't think you can build it up enough, frankly.
1: Well, we, we can talk about it soon.
0: All right. Ev? Yes, Andrew. What can I do for you, sir? So, did you have a question? There's there's a thing. We're on it. We're actually on it right now. The internet. Okay. Are you oh, aware sure. of this? Yeah. yeah. yeah um, so you've heard of it. It's a series of tubes, right? it, it is. It is not a dump truck. <laughs> you can you can have a presence on this internet. <laughs> okay. huh. do, you, do you currently have one? I do actually. Um, That's amazing. I think so. How many?
2: Actually you tell me. I'm uh, I'm on Instagram. Is that, is that on the internet? That's one. But please, yeah, so, don't let that stop you. Uh, at Evan Acre. That's actually... I'm also um, on Twitter, but it's terrible, so don't don't follow me there.
0: Understood. That, but, yeah. That's... Okay.
2: There's a lot more coming. I mean, my, my presence is about to at least triple. So, yeah. Um, watch out
0: world Whitney I'm gonna just mark this episode I want to see how many episodes Evan tells us that mm-hmm. things are coming that uh-huh. would be that could be the ongoing joke that we that we are not privy to so that uh-huh. would be interesting yeah <laughs> you could just follow me on Twitter at dark driving I post about film and video stuff video games this podcast and a bunch of other um, I posted a really funny picture today I thought it was a really funny picture I was caught in traffic so check that out it's' It's uh no, I won't spoil it. Go check it out. <laughs> Clickbait.
3: Yeah, I was gonna
1: say I'm going right now. To <laughs> yeah,
0: see where it is. it's yeah. So you'll never so believe what happens. Uh-huh. So disappointing. <laughs>
1: hilarious.
0: <laughs> that was actually a joke we made earlier in this episode. So there's a, another Easter egg. We tie it all together. So <laughs> with that. Thank you all for joining us. And in the words of Phil S. Preston and Ted Theodore Logan, be excellent to each other. Party on, dudes. (laughs) I just saw your Twitter. (laughs) Pretty good, right?
3: Uh,
0: yep.
2: Did you guys see what I sent you in Messenger? That's mm-hmm. the bassist. I wasn't. Oh, lying.
0: you sent some stuff? Let's see. <laughs> oh, wow. That is cool. <laughs>